Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. How's everyone doing? You good? Fantastic. Well, we're going to continue our series called I Am. And I Am is simply a series whereby we're looking at what Jesus said about Jesus. You don't have to go to church to have an opinion about Jesus. There's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about Jesus. There's a lot of non-church goers, non-Christians that use His name all the time. Have you noticed that? You go to some of the roughest work sites in Adelaide, particularly down the port, (laughs) and you'll hear the name of Jesus all the time. Everyone has an opinion of who Jesus is, but the greatest authority on who Jesus is was and is and forever shall be, is Jesus Himself. And this series is an opportunity for us to delve into the eight things that are found in the book of John that Jesus Christ said about Himself. This is Jesus according to Jesus. This is Jesus in His own words. And in order to help us understand who He is, He uses incredible imagery Uh, that was based upon the culture of the day. Jesus was incredible at exegeting the culture in which He lived. And so He would look around and see what people were involved in and draw a metaphor from the culture in order to describe who He was and who He is. And we're going to continue that today because when you know who Jesus is, you'll know who He's calling you to be. And we're up to week four. Everyone say four. Four. Say OMG four. I mean, where is this year going, people? I mean, we're up to what, November 6th? Pretty soon it'll be December, then it'll be Christmas, and then it'll be 2017, and then we'll be in 2017, November 6th. It's just like, where did that year go? I mean, time is just flying by, I'm sure you'd agree. But getting rid of 2016 wouldn't be a bad thing, I must admit. It hasn't been our greatest year, but um, it's been an interesting one to say the least. But time is flying. And in the three previous weeks of this particular series, we've looked at a few of the I am statements of Jesus. And the first one was kicked off by Pastor Ash. And uh, he started with, I am the bread of life and did a brilliant job. And all of these messages that you may have heard or not have heard are available free to download on our website or our podcast channel. So please feel free to do that. So that was, I am the bread of life. Week two, I was able to do. And we looked at Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. And then week three was uh, done incredibly well by my beautiful wife and she looked at Jesus being the door. Jesus said, I am the door or some translations use, I am the gate. Which brings us to week four and it's my privilege to share with you the fact that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Everyone say good shepherd. And so we're going to read from John chapter 10 starting at verse 11. John chapter 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. And the reason we know it's Jesus speaking is because everything's written in red. That's right. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. 
A hired hand will run when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they do not, don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Verse 14 says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know my father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that may not be in this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This portion of Scripture is the same dialogue that Kath started last week when she was talking about Jesus being the door. Kath read from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, and Jesus said, I am the door, I am the gate. And this is the same conversation. We are just picking up that very same conversation this morning. And he went on to say, not only that he was the gate, but he was also the good shepherd. And when the hearers heard this, they no doubt were reminded of the 23rd Psalm. You see, all the Jewish believers and all the Jewish people were well versed in the Scriptures, particularly the Psalms and particularly Psalm 23. It was one that was ingrained into their lives from a very early age. Not unlike me when I was growing up. You see, I'll never forget when I was much younger than I am today, my dad wanted to encourage and inspire me to learn the 23rd Psalm. And he said, Tony, if you can recite the 23rd Psalm and commit to memory and recite it to me, I will give you one dollar. <laughs> and... Things were pretty tough back then and, and $1 was a lot of money. And so I committed myself to learning the 23rd Psalm, all six verses without being able to look at it and say it to my dad. And after many, many years of reading this verse, I remember going to my dad one day and reciting the 23rd Psalm without having to look at a word. And he gave me one it was a great day. I don't know if I was inspired to learn Scripture because I had a love for Scripture or I was inspired to get the $1. I think you know the answer to that. But uh, here's the amazing thing. That $1 has been and certainly gone. But what was committed to memory still remains. And it taught me an invaluable lesson. And so in my parenting journey, I grabbed our three kids at a certain age and I said, hey, kids. I want you to recite the 23rd Psalm and I'm going to give you $2 because I'm twice as generous as my dad. And uh, they recited the 23rd Psalm and we gave them the $2 and again, that $2 has been and gone, but they can recite and remember the 23rd Psalm. And these Jewish hearers were well-versed in the Scriptures. And so when Jesus was talking about being a good shepherd, I imagine they're sitting there saying, ah, ah, this is like the 23rd Psalm. And so with that in mind, let's read the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And verse 6 says, surely. Everyone say, surely. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From this particular psalm, we can see that the good shepherd is a couple of things. The first one is that he's active. The good shepherd is an active God. In other words, he's not passive. He's not distant, but he's involved and he's involved in our lives. There's a lot of verbs going on in this particular chapter. He says that he's leading us. He's restoring us. He's comforting us, etc., etc. He's not passive. He's active. And He's present. He's present in preparing a house and a table. And even when you can't see Him at work, He is active. See, if I know human nature like I do, I know this would be true for most of us, that we have held our fist to God at some time and said, God, where are you? And the answer to that question, God, where are you, is this. He's active. He's actively involved in your pain. He's actively involved in your fears. He's actively involved behind the scenes in your worry and your doubt and all those things that you've got going on emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually, etc., etc. God is an active God and He's at work behind the scenes. In actual fact, God is doing more behind your back than He's doing in front of your face. And so when you can't see the active hand of God at work, you've got to trust the heart of God. Because he's an active God. And secondly, the good shepherd is not only active, but he's also personal. There are 11 personal pronouns in this particular psalm. He says that he's my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes my soul. And it goes on and on and on. And this church is what separates Christianity from every other religion on the face of the planet. See, religion is not active and it's not personal. Religion is distant and general, but Christianity is personal. Christianity in its simplest, purest form is a relationship with the living God that is found through knowing Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour. In its simplest, purest form, Christianity is this, you matter to God. It's so easy to see someone standing up here and say, I I know why you matter to God, but I don't. No, 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 no. You right where you are seated, right now, right here, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, right now, in the lead up to the year 12 exams, you matter to God. When you've just been retrenched, you matter to God. In your promotion, you matter to God. When your uh, business or house has just been taken from you, you matter to God. When there's been a split in the family, hey, you still matter to God. And that's an incredibly comforting thing to know when you think about all that is going on in the world today. I mean, when you think about what is going on in the lead up to the American election, you can almost forgive God for being so busy dealing with that mess that He might forget about us. 
But He's God. He's bigger than that. He's unlike you and I. He's able to be in the affairs of all that is going on in America right now. He's able to be in the affairs of all that's going on in the Middle East right now. And with all that going on, He still knows and cares about you. Why? Because you matter to God. He's a good shepherd and He's actively and personally involved in each and every life. And in the remainder of my time, I want to look at four ways that this good shepherd is active and personal in our life. And the first one is simply this. Number one is because the good shepherd loves us. Everyone say loves us. See, the Eastern shepherd knew his sheep personally. And therefore, he was able to minister them, minister to them effectively because he loved the sheep. And this is a picture of how Jesus loves us, his sheep. He doesn't begrudgingly look after us, but this shepherd got to know the sheep. And Jesus knows us intimately. He knows us so intimately, he knows our name. When Jesus was walking along the foreshore one day, he looked at Peter, who was then known as Simon, and, and Jesus didn't look at him and go, uh, you, think of me, Jig, what's your name? No, no, he says, Simon. Yeah. He even knew who his dad was. He said, Simon, son of John. That's how intimately involved with our lives he is. He knows you by name and he knew Simon, but it's even better than that. He said, Simon, son of John, you're about to have a name change. Your name is about to go from Simon to Peter because you are not going to be like Simon anymore. With all due respect to the Simons in the room today, Simon meant reed, tossed and blown to and fro here and there. But no, you're going to be like Peter. You're going to be strong. You're going to be solid. You're going to be like a rock. And on this song, solid, uh, solid foundation, I'm going to build my church. He not only knows our present name, he knows our real name. When Lazarus had been dead for four days, and the Bible says that the body stinketh much. King James Version, love that. I don't like the King James Version any other time when I say that verse, but that's kind of cool because stinketh much sounds awesome. And Jesus again doesn't go, oh, what's his name again? The dead guy, oh, what's his name? Flip, I've been so busy I've forgotten. No, no, no. He says, Lazarus, come for. When Mary was at the tomb, weeping because she'd just lost the love of her life, her Saviour. Weeping, Jesus comes up behind her, taps her on the shoulder and says, what are you doing? No. That's the imagery some people have of God. No, Jesus comes up and says, and just the mention of her name, she knew exactly who it was. He knows you personally. He knows your name. That short man who couldn't see Jesus but was keen to have a glimpse of who he was. We heard about him in the chapel service in our communion time. His name was Zacchaeus. Climbs up a tree to see Jesus. Much like many of you are going to do this week with the pageant, climb up a tree just to see Santa. But Santa wasn't coming. No, it was Jesus and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. And Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, he knows your name. 
Every one of you in this place today, he knows you intimately. He knows your name. There are 7 billion people on the planet and every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. That's how intricately involved in our lives he is. He knows your name. Secondly, he not only knows your name, but he knows your nature. While all sheep are essentially the same, they have different characteristics and personalities and that is true for each and every one of us. We have different characteristics and and different personalities. And that was true of the 12 disciples. Peter was one of those hot-headed, hot-blooded guys who just, you know, just spoke before he thought. A few Peters in this room, I'm sure. And Jesus loved him. Even though he was hot-headed, in actual fact, he said, I can use that. And then there was John who was also a great apostle and a great disciple of Jesus. But he was the opposite. He wasn't like Peter. He wasn't a fighter. He was a lover. He would just lie on the chest of Jesus. Tell us another story, Lord. <laughs> I'm tired. Just tell me a nighttime story. Just. And Jesus loved him. He loved both of them. Then you had Thomas, just doubting everything. What's going on? I'm not going to believe. And, and Jesus loved him. And then you've got Andrew. Andrew's one of those gregarious people, people who just invites everyone everywhere. Hey, you've got to come see Jesus. Hey, come see Jesus. Hey, come see Jesus. You've got to meet Jesus. Come meet my friend. Real connector. Different personality than all the others. And Jesus loves him. He knows your name. He knows your nature. And he also knows your needs. Whatever your needs are right now, he knows what you need. And he's able to meet all of our needs according to his Riches in glory. Here's the only small print clause to that confession. Sometimes what we think we need is not what we actually need. And so sometimes we go, God's not supplying what I need. And God is lovingly saying, that's because you don't need that. Remember when the Apostle Paul, who is just frustrated up to here, now you may not have read the Bible ever, but you can all identify with this guy. He was up to here with people uh, he had a thorn in his flesh and, and the experts don't quite know what that thorn was. I think it was a relational issue, issue personally. And uh, he was up to here with people. He had this thorn in his flesh and he wanted it removed. And three times he said to God, get rid of this. God, get rid of them. Get rid of them. I've had enough of this. This is what I need. I need some space. I need some time out from these people. I need these people to back off. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? You think you know what you need? And God says, I'm ready to give you what you need. But that's not what you need. So what do you mean? Yes, it is. They are driving me crazy. Is there anyone in your life that's driving you crazy and you've prayed them to go away? Come on, be honest. You're saying, God, just get rid of them. It's what I need. You said, gee, I just need a break. And God's saying, I'm going to give you what you need. And this is what he was saying effectively to the Apostle Paul. I will give you what you need, but it's not the absence of that person in your life. It's the presence of my grace. That's what you need. And Paul learned to surrender to the greater need and received what he actually needed instead of what he thought he needed. God cares. He loves you. And he will give us what we actually need. Secondly, he not only loves us, but he leads us. See, This good shepherd is not like the guy at the petrol station 
that you go see when you're lost? You ever done a long trip and you think, oh man, how do I get to X, Y, Z? And so you pull over at the gas station and you go in and you see some guy and there's some guy with a hat on and, you know, wearing his overalls, a bit of grease under his nails. And he says, oh yeah, what you need to do, mate, you need to travel down the road 5Ks, you need to hang a left, then you need to hang a right, travel another 3Ks, do a left, uh, go another 2Ks, do a right, then a right, then a right. And after that right, you'll see a tree. Uh, if you see that tree, you've gone too far. <laughs> you need to backtrack. And then you need to go the other way and go left, right, left, right. And then you need to travel 10 kilometres down the road. And, and you get in the car and thinking, I'm lost. <laughs> because he's not there with you. But this good shepherd is one who is with us all of the time. He's not just sending us on our own to go and do it by ourselves, but he's one who goes with us. I, I know what it is when I'm teaching my 16-year-old son right now to drive a car. I'm very with him. I'm very present in his life when he's behind the wheel. I don't have the luxury of looking at my phone. I don't have that luxury, not yet. And so I, I'm there with him. I, I, I'm so with him. I, I'm, I'm ready to grab the wheel at any time. I'm ready to grab the handbrake at any time. I am there actively, personally involved in his learning to drive experience. Imagine me going, hey, Mitch, what you got to do? Just get in the car, turn it on, drive down the road, you'll be fine. That's a disaster waiting to happen. But it's being with them that you can help them at every moment, at every time of the day that they need your specific help. And the Good Shepherd is much like that. He's walking with us actively, personally, giving us guidance. He's a shepherd that loves his sheep. And he's not only walking with us, but he's walking in front of us, which means he's leading from the front not driving from behind. This is probably one of the main differences to the Eastern Shepherd of 2,000 years ago to the modern day Aussie Shepherd that gets his ute and his dog and just yips and naps and, 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 and bites from the back and just corrals people into where they need to go. That's not the picture that Jesus is painting. He's painting a picture of one who loves his sheep and as a result, he goes in front of the sheep and he leads them. And he's the first to taste the water. He's the first to see if there's any danger. He's the one who's first on the scene to know if the environment is safe and sound in order to bring his sheep into this particular pasture. And to me, leadership in its purest form is exactly that. It's going first. It's going first. As a leadership couple, Kath and I go first in what we are preaching. We've just received our giving this morning. But I want you to know, as a leadership couple, we give first. We don't preach the principle of tithing. We model the principle of tithing. We don't preach the principle of generosity. We model the principle of generosity. It's something we do first because that's what leadership is. You go first. In our home, as the leader of our home, I go first when it comes to saying sorry. Because I'm leading by example. It's, it's my privilege and responsibility to bring the first sorry to the table because that's what leadership is. It's going first. And this shepherd, this good shepherd, is one who loves us. And one of the greatest examples of his love is by going first. He loves us. He leads us. And number three, he looks after us. The Bible says that the rod, thank you very much, the rod and the staff, they comfort us. 
this rod, this staff was the shepherd's tool. And it served three basic principles. It was for inspection, it was for correction, and it was for protection. Let's go through those three things very quickly. The first one was for inspection. He would inspect the condition of the sheep to see how clean they were, to see if they were diseased or had any wounds or whether there were any defects. And so he would get his, his rod, his staff, and he would just start just poking and pushing and prodding just to see that everything was okay much like we do to our children after a shower, just check behind their ears, are, are you clean? You remember when they're, when they're younger, much younger, not, not, not when they're 16 and 18, but, but when, they're, when they're younger, you just kind of just look behind their ear, look in all the nooks and crannies, just make sure they're clean. This is what the good shepherd does, it's what a good parent does, because young people don't, don't tend to clean themselves that well. And so you're just inspecting them, because we love them. We love them, and so we're inspecting them. And he would also use this to count the sheep. Just inspect that everyone's there. And you go, one, two, three, four, five, six. And if he had 100 and there was only 99 in there, he knew one was missing. And he would go looking for that one because that one mattered to him. People get really thingy in this church because we have a, a care policy that we want to make sure that we know where everyone is and as best as we possibly can. And if you've been away for a while, well, you're going to get a phone call from us. And it's amazing how sometimes that is met. Sometimes it's met with, thank you, I really appreciate the care. But other times it's met with suspicion and cynicism. And it's like, oh, do, do you count the people at your church? And I'm just going to let you all know something. We do count the people in our church. And the reason we count the people in our church is because people count. We count. God has given us the care of a certain a few people, and we just want to make sure that everyone's here. So, you know, every Sunday it's like one, there's Toby, two, three, four, there's five, Katie's number five, and there's Elise, six, seven. We count. Because that's what good shepherds do. Because they care. Not to count to boast, to say, look how many people we've got, but counting because we care. And it's different. And that's what the good shepherd did. So the first use of this tool was for inspection. The second one was for correction. Everyone say correction. For when the sheep were wayward, when they were entangled in prickles, when they needed to be lifted out of the mud or the mire or the water, or when they were just heading down the wrong path. You know, if a little sheepy goes off the path, just like, tap, tap, get in, get in a line, just don't go down there. Don't. Get away from the hot flame, kids, come on. Just, you know, just a little bit of correction, keep them on, on the path. It's about correction. They may have got themselves in trouble and they needed helping out of their trouble, you know, helping out of the mud, helping out of the water that they'd got themselves into. Correction. Also, when they've been naughty, little sheep. <laughs> Can you imagine a hundred sheep in a sheepfold and they all start, you know, getting narky with each other? They start biting each other, <laughs> you know, just like. That was like a scene out of Black Sheep, wasn't it? Have you ever seen that crazy film? Anyway, just like, you know, just like, and they start biting and headbutting, and, and then, and then, oi, go to your room, whack! I know you're not allowed to do that today, 
But uh, a bit of wood like this, when I was at high school, became a very good friend of mine. I got well acquainted with that piece of wood uh, back in the day. Um, And I want to say when it comes to correction, I I do believe in correction. I I really do. Spare the rod, spoil the child. But can I just say this? When it comes to discipline, we discipline rebellion. We don't discipline mistakes. And there's a big difference. See, uh, some people have used the term discipline to justify their child abuse. And beating a child because you're angry is not discipline. Can I say the answer to that is not this. Let them go, do whatever they want to do. That's not loving either. There's a difference between spilling milk accidentally. You don't discipline when someone spills milk accidentally. And yet I know many parents that get upset. They start screaming and shouting at their kids, ranting and raving and uh, smacking over spilt milk. That's child abuse. But when someone is willfully disobedient, it will need disciplining for their own good. See, the Bible talks about discipline in terms of loving. And it's something that we in society don't fully understand to the degree that the Bible talks about it. Discipline in the biblical terms is about loving. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the father that disciplines his child loves his child. And so if you'd ask your child to do something and they keep uh, doing the opposite, then some discipline will be needed because they are willfully going against what you've asked them in times of peace. And so this tool of the shepherd was used for inspection and correction and also protection. You see, there are a lot of predators out there like lions and Wolves and bears. It's like a musical, isn't it? Lions and wolves and bears, oh my. Any Wizard of Oz fans out there? No? Anyway. And, and, and all these predators uh, would seek to steal away the sheep in order to eat them because let's be honest, everyone loves a good lamb chop. <laughs> and the good shepherd would use his rod to ward off the enemies, the predators. And so this was a rod of protection, not just correction or inspection. And so it was an incredible tool in the shepherd's hand. And God is a God who seeks to protect us from the enemy in our lives that goes around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, to kill, steal and destroy. And my fourth point, as the band comes up, that'd be great, is simply this, that the Good Shepherd not only loves us and not only leads us and not only looks after us, but he lays down his life for us. See, Cass so beautifully illustrated the last time she shared on Jesus being the door. She told us that a sheepfold consisted of a whole heap of rocks, four sides, yay high. And on the top of the fence was briar and twigs and sticks that acted as a modern day barbed wire. And there was only one small opening in the sheepfold and it was about two foot wide. 
And at night when all the sheepies were in their pen, sleeping safe and sound. And it was really easy for those sheep to go to sleep because they had each other to count. They just counted sheep. One, two, three. So they'd all be sound asleep. And then the shepherd, in order to protect them, would lay across that opening. Wrap himself in the rug and lay down in front of that opening as a door, as a gate of protection from all the predators. And this illustration of the Good Shepherd in Eastern culture some 2,000 years ago became one of the greatest illustrations of what the Good Shepherd Jesus Christ did for us today. Because the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He doesn't run in adversity. He doesn't run when He doesn't understand certain things. No, He stands His ground. And He would rather put His own life on the line than see His own sheep hurt or scattered. Such is the love of the Good Shepherd. I don't know what your understanding of Jesus is. I don't know what your understanding of church, God, religion, the Bible is. But this picture today is one of the greatest examples that Jesus Christ gave of Himself, of who He is and His heart for humanity. That He was willing to lay down His life. He came to planet Earth in the form of a human being in order to identify with us. He lived for some 33 years on planet Earth. He was tempted and tested in every way as you and I are. And yet unlike anyone else, He never sinned. Thus showing us what the Father is like. Thus showing us what God meant when He wrote His Word. And knowing that we would fall short of God's glory and that we could never match this high standard, Jesus said, I'm going to be your standard. I'm going to be your example. And all you've got to do is surrender your life to me in order to receive forgiveness, abundant and eternal life. Because Christianity in its simplest, purest form is a relationship with God that's made possible because of this good shepherd who lays down his life for each and every one of us. If you're a human being here this morning, and I trust every one of you is, then you are God's priority. You are more important to Him than the animals. You are more important to Him than the environment. You are His priority. You are the apple of His eye. And if you are lost, if you are out of relationship with Him, you are His priority. He loves you so much that He laid down His life for you. Hoping praying that individuals everywhere would make that decision to come to know the Good Shepherd. Thank you for taking the time to listen. 
If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 